excited to be here and doing this. Excited to be with you guys. I mean, I, I love the kind of fellowship we have in our houses uh, throughout our communities. You know, our, our Heights Church is is just a, a just such a gift, and we are growing in knowing one another and loving one another and learning what life like that looks like every day. And it's you know, it's it's slow and it's fast and it's fun and it's hard. And that's special, and we really are excited about pursuing that way of life in all of our communities. Um, but I also just really look forward to every month, this chance to come together with whoever's here, and um, knowing that we have a chance to see a little bit greater context of, of who we are, um, knowing that we are all in part of one, one capital C church in Christ, but also that in his wisdom, and God's wisdom, he's called some of us together to be a part of this movement of the bridge, Houston, and that we get to support each other, really living everyday mission and not just uh, a Sunday rhythm. Um, and so just real quick, like just to reinforce kind of some of the heart behind these, of course, like we want this to be a time that we, that we just make space just like we do any other time for you for first all to come in, knowing that we are sojourners along the way, knowing that we are disciples along the way, and that you know, in that reality, like days, some days are hard, like our faith and our life just collides over and over again. And, we, and we're faced with, you know, decisions all the time and difficulties all the time. And we just need a space to come in and experience God's grace together. There's just something in the way God's designed it that, that it is just a sweetness to be able to see others going through similar things, but experiencing God's faithfulness in same and unique ways. And so as Elders, you know, as we kind of think about our parts and opportunities and, and loving and shepherding this community, you know, we, we focus on, you know, we, we want our, our opportunity to be about kind of pastoral encouragement and exhortation. Um, you know, we, we really want to kind of build into and pursue uh, that, that unity, uh, unity of just vision, unity of, of being driven by gospel mission, uh, and really just that strengthening of uh, communal life. And so that's really, as we pray and think through these things, they take different forms every month. This one feels a lot like what we've typically known a gathered Sunday worship to look like. You know, we've got songs, we've got welcome, and we've got this teaching. But uh, if you've been a part of these, you know that some of them are more free form. And we're like, hey, what's the Lord teaching you? And we get to celebrate that way. And so we, we try to hold it with open hands. Um, but that's our heart. And so this week, as we were looking at this week, uh, we, you know, we were in this shared reading plan of Acts and we looked at Acts 11 through 15, which were the, the chapters of Acts, and just to see if God pulled anything out from that. And, um, and as we did, it seems that Acts 15 kind of rose to the top. Um, and, and we were looking at it, and, and it seems that, the, that Acts 15 brings something forward that we're all kind of universally facing and, and that we all kind of need. So you can turn to Acts 15. Um, we're actually going to read the whole chapter, and so uh, it's not I, – I, we didn't make – slides for every single verse or not whole chapter we're gonna read one through 29 um but yeah if you have your bibles with you or uh, a phone and you've got a bible app uh, acts 15 is where we'll be um you know and thinking about why acts 15 um you know i don't know about you guys <laughs> but we live in in what seems to be a unique moment of cultural divisiveness 
And I think every generation says that what they experience is either, you know, the best example of it, or if it's on the other side, it's like, man, this is the worst it's ever been. And there's a cry of, of our generation. And I think there's sincerity in that. And I even think that we can have the humility to acknowledge that we're not special <laughs> and that every generation faces difficult things. But I don't know about you guys, but I mean, it is a precarious thing to state anything. That's how I feel. Like I, there's just such a chance of offense and not just offense, <laughs> but, but, but also dismissal. And I, you know, and, and it's not just my, my love of relationship, but also it's just that I love, like, I mean, uh, you know, it's not, it's not fun to be cast out. And so it, it seems like um, the spaces of belonging without that risk of, of being ostracized or cast out, it seems like those spaces are getting smaller and smaller. And, and that the causes of the division are becoming even like more and more nuanced, more and more ambiguous, more and more mushy. And yet the lines seem to be harder and harder. And so there's just a lot of divisiveness around us. And um, unfortunately, uh, the, the church is not exempt. Um, I will say we're not a perfect church by any means. I've been so grateful that, I mean, that's, I, don't, I would not describe our church as someone who has, you know, so divisiveness and, um, and is actually a pretty charitable and, and humble and grace-filled place and I'm really grateful for. But that's not always true. And unfortunately, we all know that oftentimes the church or, you know, the church can be the source of some really destructive divisiveness. And that's really what's happening in Acts 15 um, is, is this moment of sincere, as they understand it, people in the church are causing some really destructive divisiveness and really, I mean, antithetical to the gospel. And so today, as we look at Acts 15, we're going to see that the gospel of Jesus explodes our categories and makes, makes a way for us to not only belong to God's family and his kingdom and set personal salvation, which is really important, but also that we can belong to one another without fear, and, and without force. And so just real quick, I want to say to all of you, and think about people in your life of where they fall, because we're being equipped to for this to transform us as we go from here. You know, if you desire that the church would be a place that any and all can encounter the transforming love and grace of Jesus, then listen well, because that's what's at the heart of this. Or if you or someone you know is just weary and lonely and feels like they've just been cast out left and right and, 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 and doesn't feel that they are lovable or maybe they feel that something from their past precludes them or eliminates them from the ability to be accepted and loved, then take heart because the God of all comfort is inviting each one of us, inviting them, inviting you into this knownness, into redemption, into salvation, and into life together through the gospel of Jesus. Uh, so today, we're going to see this through three things. We're going to see one, first, as we think about how the gospel does its work, is that there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. Uh, two, that the gospel leads to freedom. Three, that the gospel leads to community. And four, that the gospel includes love and truth. Okay, so before I go any further, let me pray. Um, Lord, we just want to surrender this time to you. I want to surrender this time to you, God. I want to surrender my, my part in this time to you, God. Just uh, guard me from performing. 
Guard me from, from trying to spice this up. And Lord, guard all of our hearts and minds, Lord, from, from the, just the, the things that tend to lead us away from the realities of Jesus. Lord, wherever we are coming into this space, whether it's um, already having come to that place of trust and belief in Jesus as Savior, or whether it's um, the person, or whether we're coming in burden for someone in our life that doesn't know Jesus, or maybe we're here and, and we're still trying to understand all of this, God, I pray that we would just, with open hands, open hearts, open minds, just come to you right now, the God of all grace. And Lord, that you would be in our midst, that you would work in our understanding, transform our hearts, our minds, our wills, Lord, and knit us together, Lord, uh, by the work of Jesus into something that honors you, looks like you, and points to you. In your name, amen. But before we start reading, just some quick background as we come up to chapter 15. Um, if we looked in, you know, 13, 14, and so Paul and Barnabas have been doing gospel ministry, proclaiming Jesus, and they've been up out of the area of Jerusalem, up in Antioch and Syria, and, and they've been seeing this amazing response of salvation by the people of Antioch and Syria, these Gentiles, which Gentiles is the nations, it's anyone that's not of the people of Israel, and salvation came through Israel, kind of belonged to Israel in the, in the mindset, but we see this amazing move that, that this, this in Antioch, people are coming to Christ and they're, being, they're coming together and Paul and Barnabas have seen such a work that they've decided to stay for a while to really build up this fledgling new church. So they're there and they're doing ministry, they're living life, they're, they're, they're joyous, they're seeing people built up and then we come to Acts 15 and this happens. Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that the God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, and to order them, and to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the words of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people his name. And with this words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. 
Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaimed him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles, to the elders, with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers, who are of the Gentile in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard from that some people have gone out from us and troubled you with the words, unsettling your minds, although we give them no instruction, it has seemed good to us, having come from one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. We come through this and we see that if we want to experience the fullness of the gospel of Jesus, um, the first thing is, is that we must be clear about what the actual gospel is. Because what's happening here, what? I mean, like, it wasn't just some theological debate. It was theological debate according to what brings salvation, which what is more important than that? So this is a gospel, a theology and doctrine of gospel debate. And so we have to understand what the gospel is because what is the gospel? The word gospel itself is what? Good news. It can be the gospel of anything. So for some of you, it's the gospel of fall and all things pumpkin flavor are back, right? So like that's a gospel. It is. But we're talking about the gospel of who? Gospel of Jesus, because this is a salvation gospel. And so they're saying, yeah, that's great. Jesus saves. But also you got to observe these things. And so what we see is we see that we got to be clear that it is the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. That's that's everything. Um, we, if it's Jesus plus anything, then it's not the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of something else. So to think about what is the good news of Jesus, the good news is the good news of how we were saved. We needed to be saved because of our, our sin and our separation from God. So Jesus is the way that we are saved, redeemed, and reconciled, and that it's not by our work or merit. That's part of the good news because if it was as it was, there's no hope in that but that we are saved by the reality of what Jesus had done, that he lived the life we couldn't live, right? That he died the death we should have died, and that he conquered that death in his resurrection so that we could have a present and eternal hope of our salvation and trusting him, right? So that's the gospel. That's the good news. So first we must see that there is only one gospel, as we've already kind of given it away. Jesus is the gospel of Jesus, not Jesus plus anything else. Just the gospel of Jesus and what he has done is what brings salvation. So notice how important this is. I just want to start with this. This is just to give us some motivation to dive into this. It is important of what's happening with Paul and Barnabas. Like you think about like if you if you want to see people come to know Jesus and experience freedom and salvation, like this is kind of the gold stamp of what you want to be a part of. Like, they're out there in no man's land. 
proclaiming Jesus and people are responding. People that you, you know, it's the least likely, right? Like the ones you wouldn't expect, they're responding. And they're coming to Jesus and they are, they are surrendering their lives and they're forming together to the point where Paul and Barnabas say, you know what? We can't move on yet. Like there's something going on here. We want to stay and really invest and disciple and build up this, this little community that's happening. And so amazing things are happening. And then this, this, crew, this crew comes in. They start, they start preaching this false gospel, a Jesus plus something gospel, Jesus plus works gospel. And so it's now a doctrinal theological debate. And I, I just want to point, because then I think in our time, in, in much of our cultural, cultural spheres, that like the, the, the thought of parsing doctrine, the, thar- the thought of working through theology thoughtfully is often dismissed as not important as, I mean, how often have you heard doctrine is divisive? How often have you heard, oh, yeah, we, you know, th- those, those conversations about theology are great as long as they're, you know, they're great for the halls of academia, right? But, but there's obviously something that because, again, our faith just isn't a faith of thought. It's a faith of relationship. And so it matters. But, but again, so it, is, it matters to contend with our rightful understandings of God's way and teaching and determination of how we are saved and what this world and life is about. So it's not trivial, even though we can make it trivial. It's not it itself is trivial. It's our fault. Um, and so it is important that we work through the, the, the realities of, of what the gospel is. And so that's just this is kind of just to get us there. We must be diligent to do whatever is necessary. Like Paul and Barnabas, they stopped participating in this amazingly successful ministry that seems like, I mean, like what could be more important to go from there down to Jerusalem, which, by the way, is about a 360-mile trek as they had to go. And again, think about how they traveled then. It wasn't easy and it wasn't quick. So they weren't just going down. They weren't just going down for a few days council. It took a few days to get there. And then they had to be there and then they had to get back. And so they were leaving something important this and so just by that witness by that evidence by that example we have to know that this is something we we need to take serious and be humble about and be diligent in and that we want to see that we're pursuing um to hold what is true and not just what feels good or what's convenient or what's familiar or or what you kind of have have loyalties to but that again we're, we're digging into the realities of the gospel of jesus so in our faith, in our pursuit of faith, peace, and meaning, um, we cannot base our truth on our truth, right? Like, that's what's happening. We, it must be rooted in something greater, and we're going to talk about that something greater uh, in just a moment. I need to speed up. So, so when we see that there's only one gospel, uh, we'll also see that the gospel leads to freedom. If we're indeed seeing that the gospel, that there's only like one gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus plus nothing else is where freedom is. And it's interesting, we're bound up in two different ways. We need freedom from two different things. One is just spiritually speaking, just the reality of our needing a savior, the spiritual realities of our life that we are eternal beings and without Jesus, we will experience eternal separation from our good, loving creator, God, who is holy and amazing, gracious and merciful. But without Jesus, we will remain enslaved. We will re- I mean, Ephesians 2, clear, we were, we were slaves to our sin, dead in our sin, unable to revive ourselves without any hope. And only in Jesus could we be saved. And so, again, we were, we're bound up spiritually. We're also bound up culturally. We're slaves to the worldly definitions and priorities that are counter to the truth of the gospel. And we have to see this. Cultural norms are not always bad. Um, 
just to even see this, um, we, we, so this, this happens a few times throughout the epistles. We see it in 1 Corinthians 8. Um, and, and the Jewish Christians were allowed to continue to observe cultural aspects of their heritage. And again, there was no separation of their ritual life and their secular life. I mean, it was all part of it. So there were parts of what they observed that were part of the Jewish law as part of their faithful um, faith in Christ. So that was allowed, but, but they were, so cultural norms are not always bad, but they are when they become a source of righteousness. And so we do that all the time, and you can take it from something even not spiritual of like, you know, who shows up, like at what point should you show up at a party? You know, or a wedding, right? Does it start if the part if the wedding's at two? Do you get there at two, or is it like you know, depending on culturally, like there's some people that that's a that's a that's a that's a suggestion, and we could look at that as like, oh, how disrespectful are they, or how uptight are they, and so that cultural norm becomes a source of righteousness, and now you can apply that across the board spiritually as well, and so that's what's happening here. So just as we are bound up in these things spiritually and culturally, we are also delivered to freedom in both of these areas. Again, if we were dead in our sin without hope, it is Christ who redeems and saves. It is by grace through faith that we are saved, not by works, right? By faith alone and Christ alone is where, and by grace alone is where we will be saved. And so we can know that we need that spiritual liberation. And I just want to say like, that's what's at stake here, really. Again, like, it's like the heart of this is like you are pushing people out from the opportunity to experience the saving reality of Jesus because of some cultural discord, right? I mean, it's why Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple because that area of the temple was meant to be the place of welcoming in the outsider. It was a place that the outsider could come and, and worship, and yet they had made it a place of profit, a place where there was no room for that person to experience that. And so God's heart is for that. And so, again, we see that uh, he liberates us spiritually through the saving work of Jesus and then culturally that he says, hey, come as you are. Come as you are to the throne of grace and experience salvation. And the, and the problem is, is when we look at the gospel, which a popular way of looking at the gospel because it's the right, it's, it's the way that every other religion works is that the gospel is just advice. And, and the gospel is not just advice. It is news, right? It is not just, hey, if you want blessedness, if you want goodness, if you want, if you want forgiveness, then here is the advice of how you should live. No, yes, like in following Jesus, there is a way in which we should live, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this is the way of salvation. And so the news is here is the way in which you are saved, and the way is Jesus and what he has done, not what you have done. And so when we, when we look at the gospel as, as advice, we create these cultural righteousness, righteousnesses, is, is that a word? <laughs> these forms of cultural righteousness that end up trumping the actual grace and reality of the gospel of Jesus. So a cultural gospel will always add undue burden to entering into the, sal the saving rest of Jesus. I appreciate what Tim Keller said. He says, the salvation we have in Jesus is meant to lift every burden as far as what burdens the soul. So in case that makes you nervous, if, you know, maybe you're like, well, man, is, is the gospel just all about you feeling good? You know, just about you living in your personal happy place with unicorns and rainbows? Like, what about holiness? Well, we're that's coming. So. As we live in the realities of the gospel of Jesus, we're led to freedom, both spiritually and culturally. And from that, 
we will see that the gospel leads to community. Why do I say that? Like, if you know me, you're like, Heath, this is your Kevin Bacon. Like, all things lead to community. And, like, I'm like, well, maybe. But I, I, I think faithfully we can say, like, this is clearly on the minds of what's happening here in Acts 15. So why would we say the gospel leads to community? Because it reveals itself to be important, community itself. So if we look at verses 4, 22, and 28, um, we'll see this. So, you know, we see these pictures of the importance of community. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. And then check this, 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not, and that's the part I want to focus on. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I don't, I mean, like, that is, I've been camping in this. Eventually, it just kind of, like, smacked me in the face. Like, th- this is crazy. Like, this statement, like, with confidence, the, the, this, this letter of the leaders of the church and all who are going as witness to it are saying it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and we agree with him. And, and I, I think I'm trying to figure out, like, what wonderfully perplexed me the most. And I think it's the fact that there is such confidence to say the Holy Spirit led us to this to the point where we can, without feeling arrogant, say, I agree with him. And so this is so important for us. And this was so important to them. And I think that's what we, this is what we need to unpack. How is that possible? And to see that this is our reality, too. We can come to a place that we can say with confidence, and not just confidence, but actually it being honoring to God and in line with his will, that we can come to a place of saying that we understand the leading of the Holy Spirit and that we agree. How? This is why the church matters. The gathered community of believers, the family formed by the gospel this is why it matters. Notice what they did. And, and Andrew called us back to it as we move through the summary. They came together as they came to the ends of their selves and their own understanding. And they went to the word. Our understanding must be worked out in community and, and committed to the word. And why? Why? Because... Is the word of God working by the Holy Spirit something we can all have fellowship in personally? Absolutely. I mean, gosh, hopefully you've been hearing us ring that bell as we've been calling each other to be in the word daily. That's why we do a daily reading plan. That's why we build our life together around that reading plan, because we believe that it's not just someone sitting here telling you what it says or someone else in a room, but that you can have communion with God in the word through the Holy Spirit. So we absolutely believe that, right? So do not mishear that. But here's the reality. We have two things that are true about us. We all come with biases, and we're all endowed and gifted by the Holy Spirit. So why do we need each other? Because those biases, we are all prone to to lean on our own understanding. We're all prone to lean on our upbringing, our history, our, our cultural influences. And it's hard for us to decipher kind of truth and untruth, what is pure, what is not, right? We have a hard time with that. So we all come with our biases. So we need each other to, like, check each other 
to say, hey, wait, wait, like, like that, that, that solid, that solitary echo chamber is one of the most dangerous things any of us could make of ourselves. And that's, it's amazing how many of us prefer the solitary echo chamber as we say we're discerning the will of God. I want to understand his leading and then I will. That's, that is, that's destructive and scary because we all come with biases and we need each other to call each other forward and to open each other's eyes because we all have the Holy Spirit. If you've called on Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit pours the love of God in you, assuring you of your salvation so you're not driven to something else that deters your motive. The Holy Spirit informs your will and transforms you and makes God's desires your desires in the ongoing daily work of becoming more like him. And when we come together, we get to check each other's biases, but also bring that gifting and wisdom to one another. So our understanding, this reality, and now we see how we can actually experience this, that our understanding must be rooted in the word, and the Holy Spirit works in concert with the word and each other. So as we're seeking, I'll see if I can unpack this. Like I, I, this is 10, like I get a little abstract here, so if it doesn't make sense, raise hands, and I, we'll just do this communally, just like I'm talking about, okay? So like as we come together, we're coming together, we're earnestly seeking and asking questions, we come in, we, we, we've done the time in the Word, and we're like, man, I, I'm seeing this, and I'm wrestling with this. What do you think? And we're prayerful, and we're patient, and we don't expect this to happen. Like, boom, we said it, now it's done. Like, th- there's a wrestling, and sometimes it doesn't, we've got to take it from one group to a bigger group, right? Like, and, but we're patient, and we're humble, and we're submitting. The key is looking at, I'm not going to go there, but Ephesians 5 tells us, submit to one another as unto the Lord. So we are constantly in this posture of, 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 an, uh, of understanding, like, I don't have all the answers, and I need other people. And the Lord works in that by his Holy Spirit, by his word, and by his work. And so as we come together, we do the patient work of saying we're going to pray, we're going to seek the Lord, we're going to bring all of our questions. And guess what? Anything can come into this environment. Because how many things do you think are taboo that we're like, We've got to, like, check the litmus of the room and, like, okay, here's our kind of range of things that's safe to bring up in this room. When I look around, like, no, guess what? The grace and mercy of Jesus says he is big enough to be able to give us entree to no matter what we can bring in this into this space. So, again, like, political kind of alignments, that's a scary thing to bring up in a public. Like, if I, if I just want to, like, nope, filter kicked in. So, but there are some environments I can just blow up by saying, you know, one, one statement or one name. And, like, like, we know how precarious that can be. But if we come in with a posture of saying, you know what, I'm going to bring in, you know, th- this, my perspective, my desires, my hurts, my concerns, my passions. And I'm going to bring them in a posture of earnest submission to the Lord and to one another and his word and the Holy Spirit. Like, it's, it's a safe thing because there's nothing... Like, we're putting nothing of ourselves in someone else's teeth. We're saying, God, like, what I want is what you want, and I need them to, to be used by you to bring understanding as we come to your word and we lean into the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you, so I hope I'm making, like, I hope that makes sense, because when we do that, and that's what they did here in Acts 15, they can come to this point of saying, because, sorry, one last picture, like, if it was just up to us to, like, discern the will of God, like, who gets to be the, if there's no word, who gets to be the final say of who hears Jesus best, who hears the Holy Spirit best? 
It's like the person who's most emotional, usually, right? The person who's most outspoken is the one who hears from the Holy Spirit. But who's to say, if without the word of God, that I hear the Spirit better? Because, again, in all of our sincerity, we cannot untwine ourselves. We're not, we're not dichotomies that don't touch. This is not Gnosticism where we have a material body and a spiritual reality. We are, we are holistic um, there's a word I want I can't find. Um, it, it starts with enter something. But we're, we're, we, are, we are integrated. We are integrated in all that we are because God created us that way. And so it is, as sincere as we may be saying the Holy Spirit is revealing this to me, if we're not submitting it to God's teaching of the word, then it's still hard to say it's not our authority we're coming in. And if we want to, with clear conscience and confidence and freedom, go into this world with each other, loving one another with patience and love and living an amazing witness to the world that actually gives testimony to the realities of Jesus, this is the way. So, again, you wonder why we don't just, like, kind of do some typical things, but we say, hey, let's live in the word. Let's, Let's try to do the best we can to live in relationship and not just, you know, agended things because this is how... It happens. This is how we can discern the Holy Spirit and walk together with humility, love, and confidence. As we do this, it like it takes patience, humility, and grace. There must be those things. There must be space for ignorance without being shamed. There must be there must be room for someone to have a passionate perspective, just as passionately and convinced as you are, and yet for both of you to say, let's let's bring this to the word together. And um, there has to be room for disagreement. You can't be so fragile that if someone to say, um, tell me more about that, that you're like, oh, oh gosh, or or insecure, like again, or insecurity, like who, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and like okay, so. If you end up be, get being proven wrong, and this is our mo- our motive and pathway, praise God, because you want to be right otherwise. And so there has to be space and grace for ignorance. We've got to give room and grace and humility for disagreement. Again, all with the heart and desire to submit to one another to the Word of God and trust the leading of the Holy Spirit, aligning to His Word, aligning to His testimony and His witness. We've been given so much, and yet we try to distill it down to just a couple of pieces of what we've been given. Okay, so when we root our understanding of the gospel in the word, and the work, and we work it out together, we'll see that the gospel belongs to Jesus. But it doesn't just belong to Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel, and we'll see our lives be formed more and more into the life of Jesus. And that's what we want, because that's what we've been given. Um, so I just want to encourage us, we must live to either lead others one step closer to Jesus or ask someone to help lead us one step closer to Jesus every day. Like, can, can we just settle into that posture? So as we have a right foundation of the gospel, we live in its freedom and enjoy the community of the gospel. The last thing we'll say is we must see that the gospel includes love and truth. Um, you know, we said, what about holiness? You know, the gospel is not just about the perfect, happy place that you think is what you want, what makes you happy. This is where we're at. This is where we get to that. Um, what did the letter say? Um, what did they land on? So here we are. 
So it says in 28 and 29, for it is, is seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So just trying to land the plane quickly on what's happening on this last point. The things that they are, you know, the, the, they're, they're released from all of the Levitical law and observances from circumcision as a mark of salvation because their salvation is marked in the, the scars of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, right? So they're liberated, but they say, but we encourage you to continue to observe these things. And, and they have a few things that are all related to eating meats sacrificed and offered to idols. And then they have this one about sexual immorality. So what's happening? Uh, first, with the abstaining from food sacrificed to idols, you know, we have to remember, or, or if, you, if you've never seen this, it's okay. We see elsewhere that Paul is clear that you're free to eat whatever meat you want. In 1 Corinthians 8, he addresses this same thing. And he says, hey, because idols aren't real and because Jesus has satisfied everything, like you can eat meat. It, it, it bears nothing on you. You're not, you can't, what Jesus has made holy cannot be defiled any longer. Right? And so that's what's, so, he's, so we, we know that's clear, but just like in 1 Corinthians 8, here Paul is exhorting the just, the, he's encouraging, teaching, instructing the Gentile Christ followers to be generous to be charitable and loving for those Jewish Christ followers that they live amongst by not doing something that overly and unnecessarily burdens their conscience as they are working out their own salvation. Because, again, remember, up to the point of Jesus, in all sincerity, it was right to offer sacrifices. In all sincerity, it was right to abstain from these things. Because before Jesus, that which was undefiled would, de would defile the holy. Mike and I were just talking about this before the, before the service. But before Jesus, what was undefiled made what was holy, you know, unholy. In Christ, he makes that which is unholy, holy in what he has done. And so it was sincere up to this point. It was sincere. And so as they are working out their own salvation, as they're coming to their own understanding of freedom, because it is a journey. It's a process, and there's room for that. Um, he's saying, hey, be loving, be charitable. So that's what's happening here. And so the question that comes up, you got to see, like, it's crazy to me, like, to in, a, in a moment where we're talking about the, the, the right doctrine of the gospel of salvation, what was in view was, was table fellowship. What was it? Well, it was life together. As we work this out, we got to make room for each other. We, what we don't want to unnecessarily corrupt the gospel, or we don't want to corrupt the gospel, we don't want to unnecessarily burden the conscience of each other as we give each other space to work out their salvation in fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians, I think. So the question for them and for us is, what are you willing to lay down in order to love the one that's next to you, in order to maintain fellowship? Again, like we want this beautiful unity, but also just like, just fellowship. Like, like what, what does it take to create space for one another, to create the chance of unity? Right? Like, you're not going to obtain this kind of beautiful unity if we don't actually get into the mix with each other. So how do we even do that? We have to lay down some things, some things that aren't law, some things that, that are, like, purely subjective. And yet, for the sake of the other, what are you willing to lay down? Are you willing to change things about your life in order to accommodate another in love? Things like your budget. Would you change the way you budget so you can have more room to help others? Or... I mean, I don't know, crazy, I'm trying to, like, brainstorm things. I was like, I mean, maybe it's, like, hard if you have more money to, like, be with people who have less. Like, are you, are you willing to, like, 
change your palate to go eat at a place that they would feel more comfortable in? Okay, I don't know, right? But are you willing to change your budget? Are, are you willing to change your schedules? I mean, for some of us, our schedules are sacred. And like, are we willing to, to one, be interruptible, but then two, maybe even to budget time in our schedule just to have space for nothing so that we can be ready for anything? Um, are you willing to change your social life? And I think this is one that's probably easier for, for those who are married than those who are not. I'm trying to, like, trying to be uh, honest and humble about it. Like, I wouldn't want to be presumptive. But, uh, I mean, I know, like, my social life is mostly, I mean, I guess it applies. Like, my family is my social life, but sometimes we got to challenge ourselves. So, like, we got to make room for others. So, again, are you willing to change your social life? Are you willing to change your parenting styles? And I say this, like, you know, we're, we're a church with a lot of kids. And, again, you can see real quickly, like, how hard it is to be around other families in intimate ways if they do things differently. And that's just something we, you know, that we face. And, I, I mean, you know, during our kids' time, they brought up Matt and Lori Stevens. And as they were here, we were talking, and, and one of their first conflicts on the boat came over their parenting styles. If you know Matt and Lori, they are free-spirited. They just go with the flow. It's like, eh, you know, it's like, oh, the winds are flowing this way. You know, okay, well, that's fun. They'll go this. They parent that way, too. And they, they love giving Emily and Everett just a sense of adventure and discovery. And they just love to, like, watch them roam and discover. And, and it's beautiful. But on this boat with a few hundred other people and some other families where they're confined to, to just these tiny spaces, that parenting style caused conflict. They got confronted by a few families saying, like, hey, when, when we're in the common areas, your kids – being kind of wild and crazy, it's hard for us to maintain the, our kids, and it's hard, and the chaos is stressful. And, and you got to realize, like, there's hundreds of people, and most of them are from different cultures. And so what did Matt and Lori do? They could have said, how dare you tread on my parenting style? How dare you think that you can tell me how to parent my child? But out of love, they listened. And out of love, guess what they did? They changed the way they parented. When they're in the common spaces, they, they're more attentive, to not that they weren't attentive, they are more corralling to their kids. Not at all Matt and Lori's preference or style. And they look for ways to have that somewhere else. But out of love, they accommodated this community that they lived amongst. Now, they can't escape. We can, but we shouldn't, right? Like, it's harder for us because we can't escape. We can just go somewhere where it's easier. But they can't, and they had to face it, and it was health, they're healthier for it. Okay, so... Those are simple things, but is there, and I already kind of gave this away, but is there room under the love and grace and mercy of Jesus for us to share significant differences together and yet share significant life together? And I say there is, because I don't say there is. The gospel of Jesus says there is, and everything we've talked about in this form shows us the way to that. So the gospel is God's expression of his extravagant love, and that's where we should start as well. But then we come to this last thing, and it seems out of place. He says, abstain from sexual immorality, right? And so we have to see that God's first concern in his work in his son Jesus is that we would be redeemed, restored, and known into, and brought into his love. His greatest concern. And it's in its and it's, he did that through the work of Jesus, totally separate from any behavioral, moral change of our, outward, of our outward offerings. And it is in that faith 
and that surrender that we get brought into that in 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 from that that can from that moment that cannot change God loved us before that. He loved us equally in that, and he will love us that way forever. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more or love us less. There's nothing that we did to make us more attractive or more acceptable to receive this. It was all by Jesus and his love and his mercy. But the gospel does call us to holiness. It calls us to this way of life because it gives us an identity. Not, and so it's not just activity, it is identity. We're made holy in Christ, and we are to live into and out of this holiness given to us. So we see this, this, this kind of out, outlier thing, also abstain from sexual morality. This being addressed specifically is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit working through the church to shepherd a people from a specific cultural propensity and proclivity in, sin, in this sin of sex. Because the, for the Gentile people, sex was, was just a prevalent part of their culture, both in, the, in a hedonistic way as well as a ritualistic way. Much of their temples, their, their worship was offered through sexual acts. And so just as, guess what? This is happening with the Jews as well. Their propensity is legalism. So he's calling them beyond that. And now he's calling, this, calling them beyond this. And so notice and see that God always lovingly meets us where we are, accepts us as we are in our confession of faith in Jesus, but will always lead us to what is best in his will and design. And we want to do everything we can to create that space for people to come into our midst and experience that same thing. So, yes, we must invite each other to die to sin, to take off the old and put on the new, but we must do it in the same way God does, with love and patience and mercy and grace and consistency and sacrificial just offerings. We are not the Savior. We don't get to redeem anyone. We're not the sovereign. We don't get to control. And we're not the Holy Spirit who, who gets to tell people their decisions. We get to invite, walk alongside, and entrust everything into the hands of God, right? We, 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 we plant seeds. We water. He calls us to the growth. So in Christ, we belong. In Christ, you belong. You belong to God and to one another, and, and as we stand under the umbrella of his grace and mercy, we can do so with something that is beautiful and thriving. You need not hide any part of yourself. There is room to journey well and work out your salvation until the day of Christ Jesus. We seek with joy and with diligence to understand the gospel of Jesus, to enjoy and invite others into his freedom and to pursue it as a community, holding out the truth of God and the love of God. Let me pray for us as Kurt comes. Um, so, Lord, I just want to surrender this time to you. God, we need you. We love you. We thank you for this word. Uh, I thank you for the time. And I just pray that you would make sense of it in our hearts, not just to an intellectual understanding, but of something that is transforming and or something that uh, leads us to give witness to Jesus, Lord, in our midst and to this world. We pray all this in his name. Amen.